Clubhouse. Welcome to a special episode of New Money, Old Rules, the Gilded Age podcast. This is Mike. Tonight, we are pleased to bring you a special interview with the series composers, brothers Harry Gregson-Williams and Rupert Gregson-Williams. Harry and Rupert were amazing. They gave us so much time. Uh, we were talking in London with them and in LA with them. And uh, Caroline and I are in Texas and New York. So we were spanning the world, quite literally, when we had this interview. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, just to give you some background, I mean, Harry and Rupert have worked together previously uh, as co-composers on Hulu's Catch-22, which was directed by George Clooney. Uh, separately, Rupert has done the uh, music for Aquaman, Wonder Woman, The Alienist. He was nominated for his work, uh, for an Emmy for his work on The Crown. Uh, Harry has, just this last year, has done The Last Duel and the music for House of Gucci. Uh, these two are legends in the business and when they uh combine together well you've heard the music on the show so you know how good it is so stay tuned now for our interview with harry and rupert gregson williams Joining us on a special episode of New Money, Old Rules, the Gilded Age podcast are the series music composers and brothers, Harry Gregson-Williams and Rupert Gregson-Williams. Harry and Rupert, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Great, thanks. Thanks for having us. Very well, thank you. We love origin stories here on the show. We love how, you know, learning how people became connected to the Gilded Age. How about you guys? How did you become involved with the Gilded Age working on the show? We both were keen to land the job unbeknownst to each other. We, we, we hadn't talked about it. And I was, I was keen to work with Gareth Neem again. And I know Harry was, we were both keen to work with Julian. Harry gave me a call one evening when I thought I would be getting a call from the producer saying, you've landed doing this lovely job. And it was him saying, actually, you know what? They kind of like both of us. What do we do? So the idea was born that we had worked together on it. And um, we've done one before. We did Catch-22 together, which was a success. We, we didn't strangle each other. We did more creative. No, well, Rue, you left out one, one fairly, fairly important detail there. What was that? One, one, one <laughs> detail was that actually, well, <laughs> fairly crucial detail. Yeah, when I called you and said that they were interested in us, I'd just been told by my agent that they had a short list of three. And I said, oh, crap, who are the other two? Well, one's your brother, and the other one's quite a well-known TV composer. So I called Ru and said, look, mate, let's just outmaneuver whoever the third person is and give them two for the price of one here. That's so, uh, so that's what we did. So well, brothers working together, uh, you know, that's how it should be. It's brilliant, actually. Yep. <laughs> it worked out perfectly. You guys might have to use that more often, right? Yeah, well, I don't think we were looking to do anything because I know Rupert's busy and I was busy, but, but actually we cleared the decks and... Uh, yeah, it was it was a bit of a shocker to me, only because I I think Rupert's done a bit more TV than me over the years. It was kind of ten mini film scores in ten weeks. The episodes just on, kept on coming, and uh, you know, with a film score, you, you have your sights set on on maybe somewhere between fifty and eighty minutes of music, say. But you have four or five months to sort of think about it. And with this, once we'd got our themes and stuff, we'd had our initial meetings with the filmmakers, and they'd started to really enjoy our themes. Then, then it was kind of heads down and let's get to this. It was probably what thirty-five or forty minutes of music in each of the episodes, and there were a lot of episodes. It was a lot of music. So, in fact, it was a good job that we're. When you guys collaborate on a piece, do you find that you have to change your individual processes? 
processes for how you create music for a project, whether it's television or a film? I don't think we do. Catch was interesting for us because it was the first time and both of us have, we've been doing it long enough to have found our own niche ways of creating and of and of the logistics and so catch 22 was lots of education of how each other worked this time we kind of knew and the creative thing was great we had lovely conversations with michael and gareth at the beginning michael engler and we both gravitated towards writing themes naturally for our strengths and then threw them across the pond to each other i'm in the uk harry's in la and played with each other's themes a little bit so, yeah, we, we've learned quite a lot on Catch-22. So this time, the creative thing was, was more natural and, um, and uh, it developed easier for us. Yeah. When you're collaborating with somebody, composing-wise, um, it turns out it's, it's kind of like producing someone because not only you've got to write your own music, but you've got to react to and utilize the other person's ideas. Um, and I guess it's more like producing something. So you're not producing the, the original creation but you're trying to comment on it, seeing how useful it can be, make positive noises about it, if possible, and then actually grab it. And I know I threw Rupert some thematic material, and he threw me some thematic material. We worked on each other's music for a while until we were in a place where we thought it was a good combo and we were ready to play it for the filmmakers. That's the path we went. So when we were set with, particularly with the main theme, which we knew had to be very, very energetic and uh, was going to be definitely played by a real orchestra. And that's one of the upsides of this task was that HBO came up with the Spondulix to, um, to have everything played quite often, not just in TV, but in film these days. One's left with um, enough budget to put a couple of musicians onto it. But no, we, we had uh, a decent sized orchestra, actually. It's great, isn't it? HBO employed dozens of people for a few months, whether there was sound score, stage people, mechanics, um, engineers, rather, or um, or musicians. It's um, big support support to the industry, really. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I guess they needn't have done that. I mean, if you look at the thing, they probably spent money on, they certainly spent money on, you know, costumes and sets and, and extras and, and, and goodness knows what. So yeah. they followed right the way through to, to music score, which was, which was really great. That was another sharp difference for me in terms of doing movies, movie scores and doing TV thing score. I mean, we, we think about a single episode might have 40 minutes of music in it, which is, could be what a film score would have. I mean, last year I, I did The House of Gucci and I think uh, Ridley only wanted about nine or ten minutes of music. I still had the same amount of time and it actually took me, <laughs> took me that length of time to, to find the, <laughs> the, the right music. But, but here it was very industrious. We had, you know, we had to, to, to write the music, play the music, uh, react to notes to the music, uh, make our changes. But that's where it all got rather interesting because that episode would come to be recorded with a live orchestra while well, it's got to be orchestrated, copied, put onto the stands, uh, and then the sessions have to be done, and then we've got to mix. But in, in between that, we'd have probably been thrown the next episode to start writing. So whilst we were recording and mixing and delivering, you know, say episode three, we'd be spotting episode four with, with uh, the filmmakers. They'd be talking about what they were hoping for in that episode. The turnaround was, was uh, quite alarming for me, I must say. Uh, but it was it, we got into a rhythm, uh, yeah. and it was it proved great fun at the end. I, I like the idea that at a certain point, maybe late in the season, you just turn to you know Julian or Michael Engler and say, maybe it's just quiet in the scene. Maybe we just don't have maybe there's just no music here. <laughs> Not in this one. Not in this series. The series released the full soundtrack on March 21st, and it's been playing since it came out in my house. I, I'm working to it, uh, but the main theme is so 
kind of iconic and, and it really set a tone for the entire series. Can we listen to a little bit or are you okay if we play a little bit of it and then talk about it? Yeah, go for it. Sure. The theme just makes you sit forward and take notice right away. How do you approach writing a main theme? This is a process question. I'm a music nerd. I, I was a musician early <laughs> in my life, and, and I've abandoned it. So I'm clinging to you guys for information. But how do you approach writing your main themes versus, say, the underscore for the rest of the series, which will just, you know, under underlie, you know, a scene? But the main theme is iconic. It's what the series becomes associated with. Is there a secret sauce to doing it? Well, I think I think in in this case, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rup, but um, I think we we had been chiseling away at the pilot episode one or one and a half, as we called it, because it was kind of ninety minutes long. In the process, had had come up with that theme or something rather like that theme, and found that this would be a great this might be a great starting point for the main theme, which of course we didn't have any picture for to begin with. You know, they described uh, to us what what the pictures were likely to look like. I think I showed the storyboards or something. And we, I think, Rupert, we suggested to Michael that we use one of the themes that we'd written for the series, which they had liked. I think it was we, we'd written it in a slower manner and not so uh, bustling yeah. and, and active. And Michael was like, "Yeah, go ahead. Let's 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 see. Let's hear it." So that I think that was our starting point for the main theme. We we already had the thematic material. We knew it worked within within. You know, it was the right language for for the for the program. We'd been talking about the two sides of the road, really. One was the new money, one was the old. And so I guess we talked adjectives, really, descriptions of, of what this theme should be for the new money. And it's, you know, sweep and size and scope and money and confidence and style and all those things. And that's probably what gives it the um, the energy and the drive just having those conversations that Harry and I had and probably Michael and, and Gareth as well. All those words sort of stick in your head as you're, as you're writing it. I think, Rupes, you, you had the um, ostinato. I mean, we knew that we wanted to land an actual tune on it, which we did, but we had to have some engine room. And that yeah. little lump bump, lump bump proved really, really useful. Uh, and that's what we kind of sat the whole the whole theme on. That's like my teeth brushing music, that part that's like, do 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 like brushing my teeth, like, do 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 It was kind of quite tricky to play, actually. It's kind of machine gun. I love it. It's also, it's also got the, uh, the bit at the top that goes, brum, 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 and Harry rudely calls those the chickens. So whenever we want to have chickens, <laughs> we that we know exactly what we're going to be doing. Yeah, it sounded like, sound like someone was clucking away at the top. <laughs> uh, it's sweep and, and scope and confidence, isn't it? I hope it is. It makes an announcement. I mean, it has it has a very percussive, uh, like like someone kicking in a door and saying we're here. It's very new money. It's very the Russell family in the show, and and, and yeah. I love that. Yeah. Versus when you guys get into the old money, the Astors or the Van Ryans, it's very traditional, just sweeping violins and just long strings without that percussive yeah. engine. It's 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 a great comparison when you when you put them together or play them back to back. So how much input did you guys receive from Julian or the other creatives, the writers or anyone else when you were doing your composing? Gareth was our kind of conduit to Julian. 
and uh, Michael Engler was, I guess, what you call a showrunner. So he, these two were were very active with us, which was great because it didn't leave us in the dark at all. And they're really open. Their, their post-production was in New York. Uh, I'm in Los Angeles. Rupert's in England. But that didn't matter at all. We, we were swapping ideas between the three parties. Uh, and mainly the, uh, our, our thing was, Rupert and I, were to get on the same page musically and feel we were in the right spot to play something thematic material or, or ideas for, for characters. And uh, that, that's, it was a kind of a merry-go-round. And actually, from the technical point of view, that things have improved through the pandemic. So actually, you know, these you know sharing sharing picture and 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 audio is really yeah. good quality now, and you can talk and see each other as you uh, collaborate. And I guess things yeah, have improved right. the last two years. So yeah, so it worked. The timing worked well for that. On the sessions, I conducted the orchestra here in, in Los Angeles. I think we recorded at Sony Studios, a beautiful big studio with a decent-sized orchestra. And uh, certainly for the first few sessions, Michael came over from New York, was uh, represented the filmmakers, and, and Rupert was a sort of omnipresent thing <laughs> on screen uh, in people and was able to speak to me uh, privately on the, as I conducted and then was able to speak to the orchestra also about stylistic comments he might have. It, you're right, uh, um, given the fact that it was a pandemic kind of thing, I mean, we probably would have had to have done this fairly similarly anyhow, even if we'd all been in the same town. So when we talked to Julian and Sonia, they talked to us about how much research they had done for this one. There was new stories and new things that they learned about along the way. What kind of research did you guys do for this project? And then just like generally projects that you do, do you think about these characters, you know, as live, you know, actual stories that are happened in history or like, how do you guys work on this? That's interesting. I had to investigate that uh, era. In America, I knew what was going on. Similarly, in the UK, which is where I, I grew up, it was fascinating, really, this this sort of influx of money and power, building electricity. And it, it all sort of screamed of uh, needing energy. And as Rupert said, mentioned earlier, this sort of dichotomy of the new money and the old money, there definitely had to be some delineation from us thematically and, and sonically with the two the, you know, opposite sides of the road, as it were. And then to add to that, there were the kind of the proud servants downstairs who had their own life going on. And we engage in them, I think, in the pilot. First of all, we, we find there's a little intrigue going on there. So there were the three very distinct sort of parties. And on top of that, all these really clearly drawn characters that we could follow. And we didn't know how the series was going to evolve, did we, Rup? We, we, uh, and we, no. I'm not sure I saw a script for the last two episodes. We, we were so embedded in trying to record yeah. an episode, mix an episode, uh, have a look it's at the just next so much episode time, and start writing. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was kind of, um, it was actually cool when we finally saw the final episode see where it was all going to end up now rupert you worked on the alienist interestingly it actually applies to the alienist as well because they i think you're probably going to say that they were set at the same time the same time period yes yes yeah where the alienist was in a very grubby part of town and uh, and uh, and this was uh, as you could see with all the sets was very very maintained beautifully posh i think is the word <laughs> <laughs> that's it but if you were scoring the alienist or the crown or the gilded age you well we certainly didn't set out to sound you know in the 
1920s anywhere from the 1880s to the, to, to the turn of the century. You have to sort of use your um, modern to keep people engaged for a start and also to keep us engaged and to, to use all sort of modern ways of writing, I think, because, you know, a love story is a love story, whatever generation it's in. So like with The Crown, I tried to not make it feel too pompous or too 1950s. I think we did the same with The Gilded Age. It would have been a mistake to have brought in, you know, harmoniums and, and, and folk fiddles and things. I don't think it would have engaged the audience so well as writing it in a more modern modern way because all these sort of power struggles in Wall Street at the moment are the same as they were back in you know, with these early industrialists. I do love a folk fiddle, though. Yes, I love a folk fiddle. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing, nothing wrong with a folk fiddle. <laughs> it's timeless. Yeah, we did throw one in for the servants, I think. <laughs> yes, yeah. we did, yeah. <laughs> uh, have you guys ever had the experience, and this is for both of you uh, individually, but as now that you're working together on this uh, in collaboratively, that you get stuck on a motif for a character or a setting, and either in a collaborative sense, you both see a, a scene or a character differently, or you're just stuck on what the idea is and how to crack it. How do you how do you get over that hump? How do you move past those kinds of hurdles? Well, I think it's that that is one of the benefits of collaborating and co-writing. That sometimes you know I might send a cue that I've written for a scene to Rupert, and obviously, as I told you earlier, we once we knew where we were going with an episode, we'd put our heads down, and then before we would play music for the filmmakers, we'd we'd have a big sort of meeting together. You know, often I might say to Rupert, "Isn't that a little active there under this scene?" He might say, "Well, I don't know. I, I could pull out, I could pull out this uh, ostinato I've got." Or, or he might say, "Look, I, I, why aren't you using so and so's theme right here? You know, surely it would be a great place for it." So, you know, we were able to sort of be our own critics, um, and hopefully that will push us into a place where we were in the best place possible to play for the filmmakers and then get their reaction. We we got closer and closer to you know presenting an episode and and having very few notes. Well, once we knew where we were going, I think the the pilot was a challenge uh, just because everybody was trying to find their yeah feet there so as scripts change we know that there's changes in you know set design or decor and or uh, costuming or that type of thing are you guys like on call for script changes when it comes to music if they you know tweak something and you're like oh man we got to hit that with some extra note there do you guys have to do things on the fly like that maybe more the edit you know because by the time they fiddle with their sets and costumes you know we, we haven't even been hired yet is it fully edited how it's going to be no not at all it's still a work in progress when we would get an episode you know it might be three or four minutes longer than it's ultimately going to be so we know that there's there's going to be edits at some stage you know as a composer one's one's often playing catch up with the final cut of of whatever one's working on it's a movie or a tv series Uh, and that's just how it is you know if one waited for a final cut so that one could start work and be in the knowledge that this would be the final cut that you're working to you you'd never make the deadline right um so one one always finds myself always starting with a with something you know usually one sees in these things an episode that's called the director's cut well that's pretty close but after that there'll be a producer's cut and then maybe a studio cut which would be hbo in this instance so with each one one those ones getting a little closer to the fine cut however one's got to start somewhere so so you know there's just not enough time to wait so we usually would have now sweep through an episode to the director's cut i think rumors that would be right wouldn't it yeah and then find ourselves to edit that uh, as they edited uh, and find on that subject we did start i think on the pilot that was the what, what we attacked first and then and then we started on I guess, on the, the third and fourth episode. And we learned some things as we went. 
you know tone maybe themes maybe colors and 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 the speed and the amount of music that we needed to write and i i think we probably then went back to the first episode and a half and changed one or two things probably not radically the, the themes but we probably changed the pace a little bit that maybe we found we got out of the stocking blocks a little bit yeah. keenly or something in the first episode so you kind of learn as you go and maybe have to correct yourself yeah regardless sometimes yeah. One thing that we've talked about uh, in our podcast episodes as we were going through every episode, music, uh, like the costumes, plays a very big narrative role. It it, it helps tell the viewer kind of what they should be feeling and what they should be paying attention to. It, it's a, it's a, 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 not an obvious cue, but one that definitely works on us. This theme is so versatile because when it's fully orchestrated and full, like there's a scene at the ball, the character George Russell says, let the tournament begin and the theme kicks in and it's sweeping and it's grand. But there are times when they strip the, where you guys strip the theme down and it's maybe just a piano playing uh, the main line or just a few of the violins. Is that a happy accident of this theme that you wrote it so versatile or was that the intention that you'd be able to pick it apart for different emotions and, and feelings and scenes? I think, I think actually it was, it was written with the intention of underscoring the Russell family as they kind of bustled about the town and their business. But it wasn't written with the energy and uh, scope uh, that it appears as the main theme. So we, you know, we had, as you said earlier, we had, we had that theme. But it has it has sections, doesn't it, which you can attack. Yeah. We we know when we're talking to each other, you know, it would be great to use the chickens there or it'd be great to use the, well, we'll call it the teeth scrubbing now, um, <laughs> that part, uh, or, 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 or the sweeping tune. There are sections you can deconstruct and use, like that um, teeth scrubbing uh, rhythmic <laughs> section. Now that slowed down suddenly is very determined or we've used it in rather sad moments as well. Just the gently repeated note on the same note in the same pitch is you know it's the theme becomes a sad comment so yeah it's useful but and the thing is of... the thing is with julian's writing is it, the characters are so uh, deeply drawn that just gave us lots of opportunity for melody and, and for for tracking a particular character in a particular episode so that was great fun hey if in season two you guys uh cue each other with uh teeth scrubbing add more teeth scrubbing i'm gonna take like a personal <laughs> <laughs> dedication <Okay>. there <laughs> yeah extra teeth scrubbing variations Exactly. Um, yes, I want to see that. I love it. Uh, but you don't have to be scared of melody in this one. Just to say what Harry was saying about um, Julian's writing, you know, it enables you to write melody. And, and and these days, you know, half of the projects one gets hired for, they're not keen on on you using a melody. There's some, something else that's needed, a small hook or a small defining uh, shape or something to do your character. So it's quite nice to just be free and write a long melody and unashamedly use it, you know. Harry, you spoke a bit earlier about how doing this arduous television schedule where you're writing for one episode may be the equivalent of what you'd do for some film scores. Well, looking back on it now that the season's over, I don't know that you guys, if you were working on in season two or as you're moving on to other projects, what is something each of you either got to do for the first time here that was different from all of the other work you've done or a challenge that you hadn't come across in your very expansive careers that you've had? For fear of repeating myself, the um, the turnover of a TV series like this, I hadn't encountered before. You know, when Rupert and I worked together before with George Clooney, it was a miniseries. Right. Were there four, four episodes for one now, or maybe there were one? Maybe there were I, I think yeah. it, I think it was six. I think it was like six forty-five minute episodes. We, yeah, we, we covered it on my um, on one of our sites. So yeah, well, it, it, it feels no, it's, it's, it's great. It was great. We were big fans of it. <laughs> with George, we spotted 
I think three episodes at a time, we went away and, and had, I don't know, a month or, or six weeks or something to, to work through through that. And so I don't recall it being so so oppressive with, with having to... I think it's the logistics, isn't it? record and mix at the same yeah. time, yes. And yeah. orchestrate and, but you know, that, the but that was, uh, Yeah, and I think Rip gave me a heads up that that's what's likely to happen, um, having not, not really done uh, too much episodic TV before. So that was a bit of a shocker, uh, but it was good. We, we had cleared the deck, so I wasn't working on anything else at the time. I wasn't trying to do do a film score at the same time to somebody else. <laughs> so, yeah, this was uh, very much a gilded Gilded Age moment for us. I don't know, Rue, were we on it for four months or something? Three or four months from beginning to end? Yeah, we spent a month probably writing themes and then yes. three months. Fiddling, yeah. Yeah, doing it, yeah, probably. Um, How about you, Rupert? What was, uh, was there any new experiences or challenges that this presented versus, say, other work that you've done? Well, like I said, I've done, I've done episodic TV f- and with orchestra. The Crown was sort of the similar thing, in fact, in terms of orchestra and what have you. But um, <laughs> I do collaborations for songwriters for end titles themes uh, for for movies i've done and very 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 rarely do i get to do it especially with my brother so i guess that was a new thing for me yeah. even though like harry says catch 22 we did it before but there was something very organic about catch 22 we sort of breezed in we had some laughs with george and the first couple of ideas we wrote he loved and then it was over and you know, and uh, so this one was different. This was more get in the trenches and really meet out some stuff that's going to be useful for us for the next season or two or three. You know. So I got to reiterate that it was HBO was so supportive. I have, I think I've done a TV film for them before uh, called Confirmation, but the, yeah, as that was a film score. But the the whole process would have been highly complicated had HBO not been as supportive as as they were. Yeah, uh, in particular Evan who's the head of music there whatever we needed we seem to get and um I, I don't know whether that's rare rupert but it certainly struck me that we were very lucky to be being yeah, guided through by them it was good it was very good so what's next for each of you projects we can be on the lookout for we're so excited to you know continue with the gilded age in season two for all of us audience members what will you guys be working on harry we'll start with you in the intervening time, I've done a documentary, which I think comes out in a week. It's uh, Disney Nature. I've, I did Monkey Kingdom. Uh, I've done Penguins. And I just finished um, Polar Bear. So beautiful, beautiful documentary. You know, the Disney Nature. Again, they, they're really supportive. They have enough money for a symphony orchestra. And um, it was a great change of pace for me because there's no humans in it. There's just one person. There's a narrator telling us what's going on, telling the story. And then this beautiful vistas and um, an incredibly awesome creatures. That's in the can, actually. And right now I'm just finishing a film score called Retribution with Liam Neeson in the lead which is, again, a, a complete change of pace. There's no orchestra at all. Harry's not going to be using any of our cast-off themes from Gilded Age in Retribution. It doesn't sound like <laughs> yeah, I, don't think, I don't think that'll work. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, I did, I did try one, Ruth. It's not going to work out. <laughs> I would love to see a polar bear in a big, like, gown and, like, a, like a corset, you know? It would be... He's all brushing his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Using, like, a salmon brushing his teeth. It would be fantastic. <laughs> uh, you also have the Return to Space documentary, I believe, right? And that's coming out, I think, on Netflix? Uh, in April? Yes, absolutely. I think that's com- coming out in a couple yes. of weeks. That was the first thing I did after the Gilded Age. And uh, strangely, because I don't really make a habit of this, again, I can't remember how this came about, but I've got a really good friend who's uh, an Oscar-winning composer called Michael Danner. And we're good buddies. We have been for ages, for years and years and years. And uh, he-, he quite often collaborates with his brother, Jeff. 
and they yeah they've done quite a few animation i think what's the movie what's the animation with uh, that little girl wednesday in it uh the ams family yeah there you go so michael does does these sort of, sort of movies with his brother <laughs> we were chatting i think whilst we were doing the gilded age michael came over and uh, to my studio seeing what was going on and i said dude we, me and my brother are coming up right behind you and your brother um <laughs> Well, you're not the only brothers in this town who work together. And he laughed and we said, well, maybe we should cross-fertilize the families. Maybe we should do one together. Uh, and right at that time, yeah, these amazing filmmakers, Jimmy Chin and, and Chai, his wife, who had done Free Solo, and this year actually had The Rescue, which is an amazing, amazing film. I urge you to see it if you haven't. They were delighted that both of us wanted to do this. So I had a lot of fun with Michael doing that. But yeah, that was the first thing we, I did after Gilded Age. Rupert, uh, how about you? Projects that we should be on the lookout for, things you're working on? Aquaman, uh, the, the follow-up movie for James Wan and Jason Momoa. Um, I'm just getting into that right now. Yeah, so that's that. I mean, it's 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 going to take a little while. To... <laughs> that sounds like that's quite enough to be getting. Yes, <laughs> I'm not going to. How's, how's, how's that going? <laughs> it's going <laughs> it's going well, but yeah, no, I can't, I can't give you a big list of things that's going to happen at the same time. <laughs> um, a little no, indie film, Aquaman too. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's always fun. I get the the synths out, and um, and, uh, it's it's good fun. James is a is is great, a great collaborator, and and loves filmmaking. It's just his joy. So it's 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 a fun project. So we have Aquaman, we have Wonder Woman, we have Polar Bears, we have Space, we have High Society. Is there a particular genre that each of you like to work in? You're you're both all over the place and versatile, but is there one that if you had to choose for yourself that you would just work in uh, a time period or a kind of genre that you like to compose for? No, I I think absolutely not. I think that's that's I think that's what's what's um fun about this industry from from a composing point of view, probably from a costumer point of view, from a hairstyle point of view from an editor's point of view is that you know if one if one can avoid being pigeonholed i mean i i loved my shreks but you know i've done enough of the damn things i've done four of them uh, i hear there's another shrek on the way that won't be me doing it it would just be a shame to be to be always in the gilded age for instance but what fun to be in the gilded age for the time that we've been in it i don't think i've ever done a film set at that time uh, and certainly as i've told you i, I hadn't been a part of such a large project which needed doing uh, like it did. So I think variety really is the spice of life, as they say. Isn't that sure fun, though? We do, we, we do Gilded Age together, and then you go and do Retribution with Liam Neeson, and, and I dust off the old synths and do Aquaman. They couldn't be more different, really, could they? That's, that <laughs> yeah. is what it's all about, really. My ears picked up at Monkey Kingdom. I would be like, yes, I want to do more Monkey Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my, my son and I, I devour all of those Disney documentaries. We, we love them. They're fantastic. Yeah. No, they are good, and they, 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 it is something that um, I do have five children, and the movie I'm doing now is so not suitable. And I'll turn around in my, from from my work workstation <laughs> and find a little girl crouching behind the sofa, <laughs> wanting to see what's going on on screen, but not daring to look. <laughs> it's no monkey kingdom. <laughs> but I'm pretty safe with monkeys and polar bears. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, we asked Julian and Sonia, so we want to ask you guys: Are you guys team new money or team old rules? <laughs> uh, old rules, definitely. <laughs> 
Uh, new money, I'm afraid. <laughs> I just have to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah I think so. uh, Harry, Rupert, thank you so much for joining us today. If folks wanted to keep up to date with your work and what projects you're working on, are there social media accounts? Is there a website? Is there a way to keep tabs on what you guys are working on? Yeah, don't really do that stuff. No, I'm st- I stay in the shadows as much as I can. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, <laughs> it's a family trait. Well, all, all the more reason to go check out the projects that we got we announced here. There's for everyone in the family, no matter you know whether you're peeking from behind the couch or just sitting and able to watch it. So, th- thank you guys both so much for your time. Uh, hopefully, we get to have you back on again in a year or so. Uh, we'll do this again. Great. Yep. Thank you guys. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks you guys so much. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Bye bye. I just want to give a big thank you to Harry and Rupert for their time, uh, just uh, letting us pick their brains about the series and their work and how they approach composing music. It was great to uh, to get and sit down and talk with them for a while. Uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to New Money, Old Rules, the Gilded Age podcast so you never miss an episode. You could do it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, but particularly at Apple or Spotify, if you could leave us a five-star rating, that would be fantastic so that we can keep making the show and keep getting promoted. And uh, it's all because of you guys that listen to us. So thank you so much for listening and we'll see you soon with our next episode. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.